Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space. My passion isn't one or the other. It's bringing it all together. The passion is how do I get all of us to work together and not just deliver a simple solution, but deliver something that is easy to operate and shouldn't take a lot of mindful thinking and can really unheart or unleash some of the results uh, that we're all looking to try and get into. Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. This episode, Nanad and I welcome Art Eldred, Vice President and Growth Officer at Vargo. Art is a seasoned supply chain executive with over 20 years of expertise specializing in e-commerce fulfillment solutions. He has an extensive knowledge of material handling technologies coupled with software integration and a true subject matter expert in all things warehouse execution systems. This is absolutely going to be a masterclass in WES. His designs are constantly recognized for their impact and often featured in industry publications and at conferences. Some customers of significance include Target, Gap, Walmart, Cisco Foods, Family Dollar, Limited Brands, and the list literally goes on and on. Art, it's an absolute pleasure to have you join us today, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Nod. Pleasure to be here. Thank you all for joining us, and uh, I can't wait to get into this topic. As you already know, I'm, I'm one of those very, very passionate folks uh, about this space and what we do and how we do it, and, and can't wait to dive into it. Yes, and I, I concur with that from the passion and how much knowledge art has about this particular subject. I was on a warehouse tour recently, I think earlier this year with art. And we walked through that facility. It took us about, let's say two hours, 90% talking was art. And at no (laughs) point. That's a good thing. (laughs) Was I in a state where my jaws were not on the floor with the capabilities that were executed in that facility. I'm not at liberty to speak about it, but I'll say we are talking about some crazy amounts of automation and orchestration that goes on into high throughput facilities. So Art, and I'll also call this out. I'm also welcoming a friend on this podcast again. (laughs) Um, uh, I've had the opportunity to work with Art, uh, I think uh, over eight, nine years ago where, yeah, we've done some really good stuff together. It's been, 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 uh, it's been a journey. That's for sure. And uh, like you said, there's, there's few friends in the world that you kind of look on your left shoulder and right shoulder. Now you have your back. You're, you're definitely one of mine. So I appreciate that too. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, Art, maybe to, to that exact point, maybe for those that are listening and meeting you for the first time, can you walk us through that professional journey and, and how you arrived at Bargo? Sure, sure. sure. You know, and I, and I think I'm a little bit of a unique breed in the industry. Um, you know, I, I, um, I went to a high university in manufacturing and management engineering it used to be called industrial technology management, I think back in the day and still, still serve on the board of advisors and, and visit the college at least once or twice a year and kind of work on the curriculum and some other things that go on. But, uh, the passion started with uh, the engineering program at Ohio university. And, uh, we did a mixture of engineering, the applied side, and I'm going to call it the technology side. Um, that could be anything from the computers that were driving it to uh, injection molding machines and manufacturing. And then there's the, the processes that go around those. So um, I really did find a calling and a passion in my my youth, uh, which not many folks get to go back and say they did. And 
And uh, when I kind of jumped into the logistics space, um, I started working with a Pictolite company out of Southeastern Ohio. And uh, I was told I was going to be working with robots and pick and place things, which really got me kind of geeked out. Um, <laughs> and I ended up joining a, a company that put me into a Walmart fulfillment center doing Pictolite. Nobody knew what Pictolite that was back then, but before I know it, I'm jumped into 9,000 blinking lights and hundreds of people <laughs> working on a system for filling boxes. And I'm like, hey, this is easy. I got this. And then I started diving into more details. I'm like, this isn't easy. You know, what, what makes it easy <laughs> yeah. is, is the systems and processes. And, uh, and that when you start thinking about the human interface and challenges around people working with those, now you have something really to kind of take on and challenge. But, um, you know, out of that, I think I would 10, 15 years at that organization doing things from support training um administration project management and sales so i've really got to see a huge gamut of our space and different roles and skills um before moving on so my my real background on that first 10 15 years started in technology and it but that really is kind of the cornerstone of where i'm at today um software started the base I moved on to Domatic, and uh, I think most folks know Domatic today. And um, that world was more about the mechanical and the automation, the technology of how do I put conveyors and robots and some of those really fun projects uh, together. Um, and I did it in a sales capacity. So I was kind of looking at the opportunities, designing and building uh, fulfillment processes with a combination of software and hardware and technologies pulling together. Um, and... Uh, have moved on a couple of different roles since then. One of uh, the, the greatest ones I think I was at from a organizational perspective was Kiva. You know, folks looked at Kiva yeah. back in the day and will say, what a great emerging technology. It's all over Amazon today. It was, you know, purchased by Amazon. But what I learned more importantly out of Kiva was something that we all took away as Kiva employees. And that is the right people and processes running an organization to deliver a product and do it well and repeatable with, with excellent results that you know before and after that you can quantify. Today, my journey brings me to Vargo, you know, where we are a, a systems integrator born in 1971 and Ooh. building hardware and things like that uh, for so many years, shelving and carts and conveyance. Um, but uh, what I'm able to do really here is unleash the capabilities finally of both the software element and the hardware and technology world. And uh, I hope you'll find out it today. My passion isn't one or the other. It's bringing it all together. The passion is how do I get all of us to work together and not just deliver a simple solution, but deliver something that is easy to operate and shouldn't take a lot of mindful thinking and can really unheart or unleash some of the results uh, that we're all looking to try and get into. So that's a little mm -hmm. bit about me and, and, the, and the journey I've been to, but it's been uh, it's been a glorious one. It's been fun. Um, the only thing I'll add to that is, uh, you know, way back when I said, uh, and this is great for all of our listeners, but uh, I told my kids, don't ever come into supply chain. Don't come into logistics. Bro. Don't do it. <laughs> I have done a 180 degree turn and said, get everybody in here. Come on over. Exactly. This is yes. exciting. It's right. fun. And and I have the great privilege of working along with my son on some of the projects who's joined our company and, and uh, in a project management role. And it's been, uh, it's been really, really rewarding for me. And um, it's interesting how I've turned around and in a short period of time to 180 degrees saying, come join us. We're having fun. 
Yeah, I it, it funny story. I get I get the LinkedIn invite from uh, Art Sun, right? And I see the last name Eldred, and I'm like, there can't be more than one, right? <laughs> <laughs> there isn't. No, I'm not sure you can clone this, but yeah, yeah exactly. I, I I accepted that, and I said, yeah, I worked with your father. He's like, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just for the record, my other son was on the Ohio State football team, so I I have to wear the logo. And he's uh, he's wow. got a big game, big game. He's coaching in with the equipment team this this weekend. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're all competitors too, and we love the game. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, awesome background art, and that that's why we were so excited to have you on. And you know, you talk a lot about warehouse execution systems, WESs. Yeah. And there's probably a portion of our audience that's maybe hearing that for the first time or they've heard it and they just don't quite understand what it actually means. So was hoping that you could basically just explain what a warehouse execution system is, maybe starting with like a 101 definition <laughs> for those not familiar with the term. And then I know you and Nanad are going to take this to a crazy place after that. <laughs> I, 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 I just started to. Tell this story, right? Uh, back in, I think, about 2014 time frame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, up until that point, I've been working on like retail distribution environments, right? So pallets come in, you put cases into the building, you ship them out on trucks, right? And there are pallets going out or floor-loaded trucks going out. And, you know, I've spent good like eight, nine years working on that type of environment. And so I get my very first opportunity to work on e-commerce, and this is a facility that's close to, you know, doing, it's designed to do 300,000 units a day. And so I get to lead the technology initiative from the client side. And that that is the first time that I encounter Vargo and I encounter warehouse execution system. And the first time I'm looking at the design, I go, you want to do what? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> like it is so fundamentally different than everything that we are used to seeing, but then it all starts making sense. And I, I think, I think it's really important that folks understand that, that the next step is to go down a design of this nature. So I, sorry to interrupt, but I just yeah. had to say, because that was my first reaction. And a lot of people are going to get the same reaction after listening to what we are going to talk about today. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, it's really interesting. There are two different kind of conversations here. There is, uh, I'm going to call it the world according to art or Vargo and, and what a warehouse execution si system is. And most importantly, is it not? Um, so we're going to clarify that here in a bit. Okay. Um, but what the rest of the world sometimes believes is kind of been fogged with people doing marketing and grabbing terms and terminology, not really understanding really what it is at heart or should be. Uh, to begin with. So you're starting to see a little bit of a, a lot of noise come into the conversation of what it is. Um, to me, it's pretty simple. It's a, it's, it's just as the title says, it's a where else execution system. It should execute tasks and flows with inside a fulfillment operation. And it was birthed out of a manufacturing execution system. So I use, I often give an analogy or, or talk about, you know, producing cars on a, uh, on a manufacturing assembly line, you know, the days of the Model T where every part and every bumper and everything was all the same, wasn't a whole lot of effort and work to get those parts to the to line because everyone was you know identical to the one right behind it. As we have grown and matured into uh, to manufacturing, now I've got a right, white bumper, a red bumper, I've got a sports package, I've got a different type of trim, I've got a different color seat. But every time I leave a car from the manufacturing line, 
they're all cars, but no two cars are really the same anymore. So we started evolving and building systems and software and processes that were all about synchronizing and sequencing work into that production line. Funny thing happens, e-com starts coming out in late 90s, 2000. We're manufacturing orders. We're not manufacturing an order that goes in a 53-foot trailer and delivers to a Walmart or to 10 store stops. We're delivering a trailer full of orders, thousands and thousands of orders. None of them look the same. They're all different. They're all unique. How do I take all of these kind of processes and start manufacturing orders? So when we really think about the WES in this space, it was birthed and born out of the need to sequence and synchronize work tasks inside a fulfillment center. And, you know, now and I, we went back, we, well, 350,000 units. Wow, that's a, that's a lot. It was a big site. We're doing 1.1, 1.2 million today. And we're taking that a same day. A day. A, a day, day for yeah. clarity, right? <laughs> <laughs> not a week, not a month, not yeah. a year, a day. Yeah. Um, and we've taken those same processes, same technologies and same things. And we've done it at a store level. We're doing hundreds. So now you can kind of have a huge scale of everything from a couple hundred and you can apply the same technology and same stack to doing something that's 1.1, 1.2 million. And we can, we can unleash things. So to me, um, you know, we always think of the warehouse management system in, in kind of a high level terms, but let's just say it's a single record of inventory. It's, your single record for your order statuses. And it's the single record of all the business rules and nuances that are kind of coming. And to do that, they do receiving very well. They do shipping very well. What a WMS really doesn't do is when you get into some of these more complex workflows is it doesn't know how to work picking with replenishment with uh, an ASR system and a shipping system and a unit sorter and a pick the light system. It doesn't know how to stitch them all together. So to me, the warehouse execution system sits you know, here's your WMS sits below and it's overarching across all these little layers of technology. But most importantly, it's managing the workflow. That's its primary goal first. And then it can kind of get into the layers of the technology and the automation and use those tools or resources to do the work. You know, and, and you know, one of the things that I tell you, you know, Nanai and I hit it off right away. And I'll tell you why Nanai and I hit it off right away in the, in the WMS space is we weren't competing. We were complementing right, each other, right? And and Nod and 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 his team were were great partners on the other side in understanding that we were not building gray lines. We were building black and white lines between the warehouse management system and the execution layer. And the more we we kept those definitions very clear, the mm -hmm. easier things came on. What Nanad didn't tell you was that project for three hundred fifty thousand started in January February. It starts shipping its first case in June. So the technology stack, all this hardware and all this automation had to come live in some crazy record time. And we didn't miss a date. We didn't miss a time. And we really didn't have a lot of heartburn. We're starting up a flow of a building that everybody looked at and said, this doesn't make a lot of sense. There's, there's no buffers. How are you going to get all this work out? And how's this? Nope. Start up. It went up. We made our first peak season and I think it was what, 45 days, 35 days. Um, we had long nights trying to figure out business oh. rules and adapting to a retailer with ever changing marketing needs. And, and, uh, but it went, it went very well. Yeah. And I'll say you make some really good friends and a lot of camaraderie, yeah. uh, out of projects of that nature. If there was like a, a KPI that calculated 
total throughput by time to implement, right? I would venture against yeah. this was probably one of the fastest projects in the history <laughs> of mankind when it comes to the complexity of the project itself successfully on the other side. Um, and so, you know, and, and I, I just want to add to it from my vantage point from a warehouse execution, like as I, as I look at the world, I came from that environment of warehouse management, which is what everyone's used to is I take a bunch of work throughout the day and multiple times a day, I try to find the most efficient way to ship stuff out. So I will batch them. I will say, oh, this batch of orders, let's pick them together in the most efficient way. Let's pack them together in the most efficient way and ship them in the most efficient way, which makes a lot of sense in the retail universe. Let's be real, right? Like it's, it's, that's where the evolution of WMS has happened. And, and WMSs have evolved since as well as they have recognized the, the need for being more dynamic. But what the difference that came to play was, hey, don't tell me about batches. Let me real time try and figure out what is a priority and what are your goals? And let yeah. the system determine how to push the work to the floor, but also to a certain degree, only pull the work based on the amount of labor that's available. So you can only achieve so much in so much time. So why not take labor into equation to say, I have this queue. Let's do it the most efficient way, but let's do what we can do with the available labor. And it's fundamentally so different, right? Like there is this, this other concept of, I like to call it like chaotic picks, right? Like it, we we are so mentally used to storing products together inside the warehouse storage location. All my products are like neatly in an active location. Uh, imagine an environment where the same skew is spread out like seven different times throughout the facility and each location has five different skews. I mean, in most traditional environments, folks would be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But when you have that type of volume that you're processing, it's better to spread it out because it's always closer to someone out there. When the demand is out there, you pull that particular product from that location. So it's fundamentally very, very different. And I I, I do say it, it works much better in a high throughput environment. But do you have any opinions on like lower volume environment? Because I, I can also give the other side of it, which is, you can design for that success on that peak day, right? Right. But what happens when you kind of have an environment of this nature and you're seeking optimization during non-peak or like on that day of slump? Are you utilizing more labor to do less work, relatively speaking, in an environment like that? You know, that's a great, great, great topic. And really, it comes down to the amount of resources you have available to get the work done. You know, and, and think about what you just said, Anad, in that peak day, what do I have? I have a full staff and I've got a whole bunch of work to choose from so I can be very intelligent and have many, many, many choices for all this work and matching with all the resources. Uh, when you get into a typical day, we don't call it average day anymore, um, but you yeah. look at your typical day or, or your you know normal season day where you're not into some holiday rush, um, the amount of resources you have is just a fraction of what you would have on a peak day. Equally, you have a fraction of the amount of volume that you're supposed to be doing and processing. So your choices become very, very you know, minimal. And when you think about it, if I have automation that's in there, 
the resources are still there. It's machines, it's aisles, it's cranes, it's robots. They're all there. So you can make a lot of decisions and, and life becomes easy. It's the manual labor part that always drives us crazy. But if I've got five pickers versus a hundred pickers, I can only do certain things with five people. Exactly. And we think about, you know, this environment of e-com um, specifically, it's a lot of effort to get all of those different items arriving at the, at a shipping dock or consolidation point relatively in the same period of time. And if I only have five people to choose from, I don't have a lot of choices to, to make. One of the things that the, you know, Amazon has really brought about to us is this world of expediency. And what Nod was talking quite a bit about was also efficiency. So when you layer expediency on top of efficiency, what you get is expediency. You don't get efficiency. They are literally like a seesaw. You either have exceedingly or you have efficiency. And the world of trying to do that through waving and batching and using conventional ways to push things to the floor, I push stuff onto the floor for five minutes and then get back to the expediency or the efficiency part. And I push another one back. Well, I didn't pay attention for the last half hour. So I got to put a bunch more expediency on because I'm getting really close to the deadlines. That's one of the things that's so easy to automate in this world is to take those decision points and put them into software that have this intelligence on what needs to be done, when it needs to be done. And with the way we kind of think about it, it's not the work that needs to be done as much as the work that doesn't need to be done. The work that doesn't need to be done gets in the way. And one of the classic, classic kind of concepts of that is a buffer where you pick a bunch of things, you put it in a toast, you queue it into a conveyor or, or you queue it in some lanes or space so that the downstream processes have enough work to kind of feed into it. Well, we can simply automate some of that stuff by just using simple sequencing and synchronizing techniques and software. And I pick what I need to match on my downstream. Don't overproduce here because what happens is yeah. I start creating this mountain of work in the middle. Before I know it, I can't yeah. get things through expediently. So yeah. it's not a world of just saying, hey, here's a software feature, but it's really a mentality that starts with the processes first, um, the people that are involved, the technology, what we would call the resources, and then figuring out how those things kind of flow. Yeah. And, and that idea of being able to pull the work, right? Like, so, so don't pick if you can't pack on the other side, right? Like that, <laughs> that developing that solution. I can tell you, like we had, I don't know, how many hundred pack stations or something. Yeah. It was about a hundred, hundred to 50. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we had pack stations that were designed to say, this is a singles only pack station. Which means if that pack station is not turned on, if the person does not go in and be like, I am here at this station, no singles picks are happening on the floor. <laughs> now, right? Like period. What a concept. Like it's, it's just not. So like, it's, it's like at a pack station, like we had special pack station for dangerous goods, right? Like anything that's going air or something that requires a DG sticker. Yeah. If that line isn't on, no orders with DG markers are going to get picked, right? Like it's, it's that. It sounds really simple, right? But that's not how the world works, right? Like most of the world actually works on, I'm just going to dump a bunch of stuff onto the floor. Of course, there is ways to figure out, hey, I'm not going to do dangerous because no one's going to be working at that station. But rather you turn it around. If your cycle time from pick to pack happens to be only, let's say 20, 25 minutes or less, then you know that if someone turned on that station, work is going to be coming there. if the work is in queue. So... The, the the concept really changes. Uh, 
I love it. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's foreign to, I want to say people who are not using Rails execution systems. And I, I, I often give the old analogy of what happens when you put 5,000 pickers on a pool based Rails execution system, but you only put two packers on. No, that, that Four, makes sense. 4,900 some pickers aren't going to get any work available because you don't have anybody packing it out. What that does Come. to an operation is it allows supervisors and managers to manage the people, not the workflows. Because before I had to go and push waves of picking in to make sure that the packing was equalized and I need to look at the singles and I, and I need to look at the FedEx UPSs and the mail innovations. Oh, and I got some hazmats. Make sure every one of those pack stations is full and keep kind of trickling out the, the knobs to make sure people are getting the work. We just put a packer on for lithium batteries and say, give me the work for it and let those things kind of flow to them. If I need more work, to, I put another packer on. Simple. So, so Art, here's a question on that front, right? Um, a lot of our listeners are, you know, brands, emerging brand, growth brands that have, you know, decided very purposefully to go into their own, um, you know, operations rather than leaning into a 3PL. They have decided they want to build their operations, make, you know, logistics as core, core part of their business. And they, they go ahead and do that. And they got their, you know, 100,000 square feet doing more manual mode, or they might have a piece of automation. They got locus, right? Like right. it's doing a great job. When and how should they start thinking about bringing in a solution, uh, a warehouse execution system, like what would be that point at which they should start considering? Because there is an inflection point at which they need to think about it. What's your opinion on that? You know, and I, it's funny you say that because I just got off uh, a little tour and I have a, a couple more next week for, I'm going to just call these conventional merging sites that are getting into, I need to get a lot of heavy automation or I need to start thinking my technology stack, meaning the WMS, the OMS, the ERP systems. Um, three of the warehouses I've visited in the last two weeks had their own warehouse management system, their own OMS, and they had a lot of business uniqueness and competitive advantage in doing so, uh, specifically with uh, how they handled their merchants and what they were doing on the OMS or the, or the web portals. But at some point, you kind of exceed those capabilities and you can't keep reinventing the WMS to apply best practices and um, I would say the very first thing you need to do is you look at your technology stack first and say, when is, when have I outgrown that? Or when have I kind of exceeded my, my capacities and might be a little bit of an education there because how often are your siloed WMS teams keeping up with automation in this field that's exploding? And we need to come back to that a little later here, maybe in, in, in this podcast, but, um, we look at it as when do you need more capacity in your building or when are you not achieving your labor and productivity goals? So to me, software doesn't solve everything. It's just an enabler to get you to defining the right processes. And we've had tremendous success in taking a legacy-based system that was built around a warehouse managed system pushing waves to a buffer and down to a floor to be worked on afterwards and ripping out those buffers putting in the warehouse execution system, kind of like you're doing open heart surgery over a weekend and bringing that system back up to life and now enabling the same building that was doing something before to do two times X with almost half the product or half the, uh, the people that are required. And it didn't start with the software. It started with the process. How do we take something that is so coupled 
and force through a buffer that has been so efficiency-based and we uncouple everything and that'll enable the warehouse execution system to say, how do I synchronize and sequence stuff so that I can keep things flowing like a production line? The interesting thing is when you give a constant feed and flow of work to people or automation, you get two things. You get an asset that you bought that is completely utilized and doing great. And you get a person who's always fed work and is going to be productive. On that paradigm, if I can give work to a person in a normal warehouse, what do you think the person who does the most work gets rewarded with in a warehouse with, with a great warehouse execution system? They get rewarded with more work. You tap nice. that resource, you bring the utilization factor up. You don't limit them the same way that you don't limit an ASRS crane or a good goods to person picking aisle. You want to sweat that asset as much as you can. And if that thing's got 600 units per hour, it can produce, give it 600. Don't let it, yep. don't let it get starved. Um, so there's, I, I would say really it kind of comes back into, I really enjoy the merging technologies because I want to look at the process and try and decouple things that, you know, build gates um, uh, inside the fulfillment center. I want to take the gates out. I want to let things flow consistently. And then I want to put technology in uh, to solve those needs. But I would say it's really more about the folks that are looking for UPH gains, uh, flow, and automating SLAs where things are starting to get a little, a little bit wonky with the growth and where they are in their evolution. That's awesome. And and one of the things are, you know, since uh, he, you were there back in the days with Intelligrated and you, yeah. you've seen, you know, worked with Excel, you worked with Kiva. Um, Kiva, definitely one of the groundbreakers in the yeah. automation space, right? But even today, majority of the automation uh, and maybe it's kind of like shifting, but majority of the automation is with the traditional marriage mission, send me a flat file, TCP IP protocol, right? The the very traditional environment to now, you know, Silicon Valley's got involved in this space and everyone's kind of found like, hey, this, you know, if you're going to do automation, warehousing is the first arena you want to step into. I mean, I was reading something this morning about, uh, who was it? Uh, Boston Dynamics working with Siva, oh. right? Like to to try and find like product market fit, right? Like Boston Dynamics, the darling of the industry of robotics, the biggest challenge was like product market fit. Who's going to use their solution? Of course, the the military and whatnot. But when you talk about scaling, and you are starting to see these solutions kind of come to fruition now, how do you see this industry evolve on the automation side, emerging technologies, right? Of course, we are going to have the conveyors and unit sorters and, you know, that's going to be required. But how do you see robotics and, and some of the other emerging technologies play into efficiency as we as we kind of look forward? You know, it's uh, I, I've been talking more about the trade shows we've been going to because that's kind of the, the leading edge of what we're seeing or where it's coming. And there's some scary things out there. Um, and there's some really exciting things too. The scary thing is you can go to a ProMat or a Modex and these big, big trade shows that everybody kind of does a little demonstration, their song and dance. And I love them because I'm I'm out there, I'm geeked out. I'm just coming around exploring everything, learning and and trying to find out where applications and fits and um, things along those lines. But if you go back to the last ProMat show and you compare it with the one before, what you're going to notice is there's an explosion of robotic and kind of AI-based, cloud-based software solutions with some type of, I don't know, robot AMR, you know, these autonomous mobile robots, but more of these very flexible, dynamic pieces of automation. 
And if you compare that list with the one show that, that, that succeeds it, you'll notice half of them aren't there. Mm-hmm. That's the part that has got hmm. me frightened for this industry. Because if you're going out there and trying to buy a new car, you know, you're not going to go buy a car like a, uh, you know, a Yamahuts or something like that. Something that just popped on the marketplace. You're going to buy the Fords <laughs> and the Chevys and the Toyotas, you know, they tried and true. <laughs> the, the difference is I don't think a lot of our warehouse and distribution folks understand um, what it takes to really be in this industry, deliver it, support it, uh, and continue to grow and apply to new solutions. So um, that scares the living bejeez out of me. On the exciting part is I now have resources and technologies emerging everywhere. I can pick things up and receiving. I have the Boston Dynamics is a great one, by the way, on, on being able to receive stuff automatically through through a trailer and put it onto a conveyor. I have, I don't know, I think I'm tracking right now a list of about 25 ASRS goods to person companies that all have strong merit. They've been around a while and they have a lot of value in where they're going. Um, we have the Locuses and the Six Rivers and the Fetches and um, the Iron Robotics. You know, all of those companies have been around for a while and they have their place in their niche. Um, so to me, I'm starting to find there is, and I've, I've never really thought this, um, the pipe dream is there's a silver bullet or technology will fix and get me everything I ever need. And the, and the yeah. true answer is not there. I think, I think uh, it goes without saying that many companies have tried that. Some of these robotic companies, right? Successful ones, really right. well intent, uh, in, you know, companies with good intentions that have come out with a piece of technology that's really good. Then they bring another piece. So they might be really good at their AMR. Then they go, I'm also do my put to light and I'm also going to do sortation. And I'm, and now, oh, by the way, buy into my walled garden ecosystem of software that's going to do it all for you. And that just doesn't work. So as, as you know, my advice to pretty much everyone is try and figure your, you know, the best capabilities that work for you from a UPS perspective, right? And bring it all together and use something in between to actually orchestrate. And don't leave them in silo because one needs to understand the other. If you run them in silo, then you still create a buffer situation we are talking about. You are really good at picking, but now your pack stations are, you know, overflowing or your picking is not efficient enough in your pack stations basically going, Hey, get, get me some work here. Right. Like, so completely agree with you. And, and to, to the point about some of the automation pieces uh, that we have seen, I think it, a lot of it is driven through like OEM hardwares, right? Like yes. it's, it's, it's just a sticker. <laughs> a lot of these companies are just stickers that are essentially taking a piece of hardware that, an OEM hardware, putting their sticker on it, and then building a piece of software on it. No, no question about it to orchestrate. But other than that, they are pretty similar. You know, it's funny. It, you have integrators that have really exploded in this space. And they're really not integrators. They're just resellers. They're distributors. Um, yeah. There are a few of us that live out here in this space as a true integrator with technologies. And um, we don't, I'm going to say this out loud, uh, really clearly too. We don't sign exclusive agreements with somebody that says you can only rep this product in the space. If if I did, then I'm a dealer. I'm not an integrator, yeah. <laughs> starting with processes, yeah. people, and then technologies, and trying to do what's best for my client. Um, so you got to be you got to be careful. And, and you know, and you know this better than anybody because you've been around this industry as like I have. It. I feel like we're ancient at, at some point in time, but. 
But fundamental block and tackling on processes, if you leave that to go buy a technology, you think you're going to solve it, you, you got you got spoofed. You got to stay. You got to stay on that. On you got to stay on that playing field and say, you know, this is my processes and this is how I need to do it. And here's my business rules. Don't ever leave that that field. Wholeheartedly agreed. And but though one of the things I I am really excited about is the accessibility of technology from automation perspective to folks that it wasn't accessible yeah. to. No longer is an ASRS going to require me to have a minimum of $5 million capital investment to do it. Now I can get a basic ASRS for let's call it 20, 30, $40,000 a month with like a bunch of robots. Again, it's very modular, but I can go sign a robotics as a service agreement. I haven't used any of them, but they look pretty cool that I've seen uh, lately come out in the market. Right. So I love it. Um, I love it. I yeah. love that space. Yeah. Anything where you yeah. can build, especially the robot as a service model, the RAS models, as they call them, um, they, they're very flexible. They're very dynamic. And if I'm starting to be like a growth customer, I can use and spread my robots assets to where I need to and demand. I can match, you know, dist- two different distribution centers. The other thing that I like about this is I'm, I'm getting geeked out about the fact that we keep running into these, I'm going to start calling them labor deserts. You know, you talk about the food deserts where you don't get the vegetables and things like that in the urban city. Yeah. I'm starting to call them labor deserts because you're starting to see the ramps, the UPSs, the FedExes, all these kind of big portals, uh, airport cities and areas or, or metropolises that don't have the labor that they once had or available. So if I can now say, okay, I got all the automation here and I think I'm going to get 100,000 units out of building A today, but you know what? Even with the robots, I'm still not going to get the labor. Take the robots, move them to another place where I don't have that labor desert, put them in play, and let's crank out twice the volume of a building that can produce it for that peak period of time. And now I'm up and running. But, um, you know, Leonardo, to kind of play off a little bit of, you know, the technologies, these mobile AMR flexible type things. And, and I, I think the most exciting kind of things that I'm looking at are ones that can climb or go 3D vertical. And you're seeing two, mm-hmm. two different types of technologies there. One, where the technology lives up in the vertical cube and then drops it down something that does the XY grids. Yep. Or you're getting, you know, the Exotechs and the OPEX Infinity products. And there's a couple other ones that do the Z. They go up, they go down, they go left, they go right. They're everything that everybody in that process. But anything that can start making use of cube in the warehouse where I'm starting to use everything above 12 feet in my building, um, really, really excites me because I think those things are going to really pay dividends with shrinking the spaces that we need, being most cost efficient. And, you know, let's face it, lower cost per unit, more I can get my building, the more I can compete with Amazon on some speed. Now I got something. You winning. You're You're absolutely winning. Yeah. You're winning. That's awesome. That's awesome, guys. I, I have learned a ton in uh, in the last half hour, for sure. couple things just to circle back on, Art. You were talking about, I think, a brand or retailer that designed their own WMS, and you were talking about silos, and you wanted to kind of go back to that. Um, so I wanted to give you an opportunity. I don't know if you were thinking down the path of, like, different departments within e- organizations being aligned. Um, but just wanted to kind of circle back on that because I think I know where you were headed, but wanted to give you the opportunity. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing for me is um, we always need a warehouse management system. 
Um, and we need it in different degrees and different levels of functionality. And, and, and I will be here to tell you that there are an awful lot of people marketing a where else execution system that is just lipstick on the front of a pig. <laughs> Meaning I've got, you know, a Pictolite system. I've got an AMR system. I've got an ASR system. I've got a Kaver system. They put a dashboard up front, serve it on a web portal and say, well, I have a WES. That is not a WES. That is just a dashboarding system. And at the end of the day, you're still kind of managing, doing everything. You're the executor, not the not the systems underneath of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know you got to be very careful in understanding what some of these WES companies are saying and how they do things. Uh, and we should probably come back and talk a little bit about what that means to go shop for one and what you need to look for. But um, we also have an emergement of technology stacks. Um, TMSs were nowhere near prominent like they are today, especially in the parcel field. So. I've got half a dozen TMS systems. I need a record of inventory. I need a warehouse execution system. I need an OMS to manage my order portals. I need an ERP system to kind of manage everything above that. Um, the requirements in the real estate of a WMS can kind of go down a little bit in functionality. And I believe the warehouse execution system can really fill some of those gaps that are um, have been out there for a very, very, very long time. And in some cases, just some, I don't necessarily need a full WMS to do that work. Um, as I grow into larger enterprise work, um, I would I would tell you all the time I'm a I'm a proponent of the Manhattans and and the Kerbers and others of the world. Um, but if I get into some of these smaller e-commerce operations, the OMS can work very hand in hand. In fact, we have uh, one site that actually it's fairly simple. Um, from the product perspective and the inventory requirements and, and you know, kind of their structure, we do everything from the OMS down into a Kofi warehouse execution system, and we report back the inventory to an ERP system, and there's no WMS needed. Again, that's a rare case. It's not for everybody, but um, it is absolutely 100% possible to do so. And again, kind of comes back to block and tackling processes and, and you know, you know, what, what I love about Anad is I call him all the time saying, hey, tell me about how do you block and tackle the selection of technology stacks and how this works. And I'm constantly getting the education from, from Anad and FIQ on where what's emerging, what's out there, how do you interface with them, and how can I kind of simplify what's out there? And it's no different than, than tacking a fulfillment process with, you know, how an order gets picked, packed, and shipped out the door. Yeah. And, and again, you, you know, we, we've seen people build their own WMSs and orchestration, right? Where it's not their core business. Listen, if, if you have a very complex environment where you are doing, you know, you're doing some sort of like unique subscription box where every box is actually different and you got to like flow through it. And it's such a nuanced business that you have that you end up building technology. It makes sense to start with. But here's the problem. As you grow and expand, most of the tier ones and good WESs can accommodate your workflow because we kind of get trapped in this thought process that, you know, it's my secret sauce. No <laughs> one can do it. And the fact of the matter is it's always ketchup, right? Like it's, it's, there is no secret sauce, right? Like everyone has, new, and I've been through all of these warehouses, name a large retailer. I've pretty much visited 80% of their warehouses at least once. Right. And I got to say, um, Everyone thinks they have a secret sauce and you walk through these buildings and you go, yeah, you're doing the same thing. You receive stuff, you pick stuff, you pack stuff and you ship stuff. 
and there is in between you might have like a document insertion or you know two lanes where product needs to go from one zone to another or something of that nature other than that it's simple it's picking packing and shipping catch right? up, like so. catch up still catch up you can put any loads yeah, you want, catch but it's up, still yeah. got the fundamental ingredients of tomatoes and vinegar and sugar and all the all the agreements are the same maybe a little bit different exactly. mixtures but they're the same yeah exactly yeah. Now you you know I am from Pittsburgh, so uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. ketchup is not ketchup, guys. Uh, Heinz <laughs> ketchup of Heinz. is Heinz, Heinz ketchup. Yeah. Okay, good point. Good point. <laughs> but I follow. I follow. I follow. Um, well, listen, Art. This has been. Uh, I, I can't even believe we're at time. The conversation has been absolutely amazing. I've learned a ton. I know our audience has learned a ton. Um, so, absolutely, thank you for oh, joining us and. Before we wrap up, want to give you the opportunity to share with the audience, you know, where they could go to learn more about WES, where they could go more to learn about Vargo and what social platforms you're on, so uh, so they could follow you as well. Yeah, I mean, we're we're pretty active on LinkedIn and Facebook and, and Twitter as a, as a company. You know, go to VargoSolutions.com. We have got a current website. We hope to launch a new one here shortly. That's more focused on education. Uh, than it is on products and technologies. Um, you can also always call us. Uh, our phone numbers on the website. Emails are on the website. Um, you know, the one thing I'll just kind of tell you is I'm one of many here at Vargo. Um, we've got a lot of great experienced people. Um, ironically, a lot of them have been operators um, and working in the field and understand the pain points and what how operations should flow. So we're we're very much a team focused on processes. And I, and I happen to believe our technology team is the best in the industry. Um, we started with Python uh, back in 2000, which is now such a huge, huge coding language. But um, it's so much more than that, that we're staying ahead of everything that's coming at us and thinking about how we can be more productive and fat or fast, fast and efficient um, and, and really do our job as, as we expect to. But, uh, you know, staying on the technology stack and coupling that with the experience is, is what Vargo is about. Um, and one of the things you'll find is every one of our customers will talk to you because they are all believers, but they're also reaping the benefits and rewards of, a, of an integrator who knows technologies and software together, which I think is, is a rare case today. But um, welcome you all to reach out to us. And uh, as always, love being uh, with you guys. I, I enjoy every minute. I wish we had more more time. Oh, we will. We will. There'll be a part two. I yes. promise you, Art. So, well, listen, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Thank all. you, Art. Appreciate it all. And, uh, and, and quickly, uh, before we leave, Ecom Logistics Podcast has a quick announcement for the Ecom Logistics Nation. It is official. Ecom Logistics is excited to partner with Manifest, the Future of Logistics Conference, bringing together Fortune 500 global supply chain executives logistics service providers, cutting edge startups, venture investors, and technology leaders. As a listener of the podcast, you can save $200 on your tickets by visiting manifestvegas.com slash backslash ecom logistics. And we certainly hope to see everyone there in February of 2024. Vegas, so with that, <laughs> thank you, everybody. Vegas, baby. All right. Have a great day. Thank you, Art. See you all. Take care now. Hi, I'm Ninad Acharya, CEO and co-founder of Fulfillment IQ. And I'm here with Dan Call, CRO and partner at Fulfillment IQ. We're the team behind the Ecom Logistics Podcast. 
Our mission is to provide you with genuine insights from our work alongside logistics leaders to help you improve your supply chain. In the Ecom Logistics podcast, we share the knowledge and the insights we've gained from working alongside amazing brands, retailers, 3PLs, and VCs, so you can make the most out of your supply chain journey. If you like what you're hearing, we'd truly appreciate your support with a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting channel. Your feedback not only keeps us going, but also helps others find the podcast. If you think Fulfillment IQ can assist you, or if you have an idea related to logistics, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always up for a chat and ready to explore new possibilities together. Stay tuned to the Ecom Logistics Podcast on your favorite podcast platform for fresh and practical insights into e-commerce and logistics. Until next time, let's keep making a difference in logistics together.